I want to I'm preach a message today entitled The Sacredness of Motherhood. We have been in a series of messages called Sacred, and each week we have looked at a different tradition of the church that has lasted for generations. Last week was water baptism. Uh, we looked a week prior to that communion, the Lord's table, and, and we've looked at various things, the altars, and, and uh, I'll probably visit another one next week, but, but I, I wanted to look, I'm kind of we're putting a series on hold a little bit because of Mother's Day, and yet at the same time, I wanted to borrow from the term sacred and examine the sacredness of motherhood. And the thing that makes motherhood sacred is the influence a mother has, uh, not only over her children, but through those children over cities and churches and even nations of the world. Influence is a very powerful thing. And so I believe in the context of biblical motherhood, God calls mothers to be stewards or shapers of divine destiny. That's what makes motherhood sacred. But before I jump headlong into that message on motherhood, as I prepared for my sermon this week, and as I prepare for Mother, Mother's Day sermons every year, there's always this group of people that are heavy on my heart coming into the day. People I pray for heading into the day. Some of those people aren't here today because of the pain that is associated with Mother's Day. There are people whose mothers have passed away, and this day forces them to relive that grief. Or others whose mothers were anything but role models and today forces them to retrieve memories of family dysfunction. And then there are mothers whose children beat them into eternity and their hearts still wrestle with what seems unfair. Whether it's the young mother who miscarried or the 45-year-old mother who lost her teenager or the 85-year-old mother who has outlived her children, it never seems just when a mother buries a child. And still yet, there are those women here, some who aren't, because they didn't want to live the pain of hearing a Mother's Day sermon. There are those whose hearts are so long to be mothers, but infertility and other life issues have robbed them of that joy. So I want to pause a minute before I preach a Mother's Day sermon and address these people. Specifically, my next comments directed to the mothers that wanted to be mothers, the, those that were infertile or other life issues kept them from being mothers. I realize many of them aren't here today because it hurts too bad, but I've had many of them say to me in a moment of transparent honesty that they just hate Mother's Day. And that word, those words come from a, a deep expression of pain in their heart. And I, I read in the story of Job when Job was going through all of his suffering he made a statement in Job 17.11 that is synonymous with the way some of these women feel. He said, My days are over, my hopes have disappeared, and my heart's desires are broken. And, and, and I understand those words may describe the depth of some lady's despair today. But I want to speak into the depths of your soul and give you a promise that comes directly from the Scriptures about how near God is to you today. Psalm 34, 18 in the message says, If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, He'll help you catch your breath. That's the message paraphrase of Psalm 34, 18. And if infertility and life issues have kicked you in the gut, he is right there this morning to help you catch your breath. As a woman, not, not a mother, but a woman, 
I'm convinced you are the crown jewel in God's creative order. According to God's Word, there is something very unique and very special about you that is not dependent on the love of a man or giving birth to a child. You are special because you are a woman. As a woman, you are the glue that holds our society together. You are the fabric that God has given to hold the church and the community of faith together. There are women who have given birth to children who are not real mothers, and there are others who have never had or adopted a child who have become spiritual mothers and spiritual sisters who have shaped the destinies of people's lives for generations. In my humble opinion, my mother, my grandmother, my wife, Yes, and even my mother-in-law are pictures of godly, biblical mothers. I couldn't say that if she was here, it would go to her head. But since she's not here today, I can brag on her. My mother-in-law and I have a phenomenal relationship. And in this very meaningful ride that we just went on to my grandfather's grave, we stopped in the middle and she cooked for all these guys and made me a cake. And I I love my mother-in-law. She's so full of hunger for God. And so we tease about that. But those four women in my life, Haley, her mom, my mother, and her mother, my grandmother, are biblical examples of of, of role models of biblical motherhood. But there have been other ladies through the years that God has sovereignly placed in my life who are not biologically related to me that have become spiritual mothers or spiritual sisters. And I could begin to name some of them today that have shaped my life as spiritual mothers who were never mothers in their their own biological way. Some of them are in this room today that, that God has placed in my life who have influenced me and shaped the destiny in my life. They have been for me what Deborah was to Barak in the book of Judges. As Barak went to battle as a mighty warrior, Deborah was the intercessor in prayer behind the scenes who dispatched angels to guard and protect and so that the strength of God would go with Barak. Barak won battles in the seen world because Deborah through prayer was winning battles in the unseen world. And I can guarantee you in most any occasion when there was a visible man doing great things for God, there was a woman or a group of women behind the scenes doing the work of Deborah so that the men could do the work of Barak. So today in Texas vernacular, I tip my hat to all of you ladies. Not just mothers, but to the entirety of womanhood. But in biblical vernacular... I bless you. I speak life into you as a woman of God. I pray that your heart is awakened to the value of who you are as a mother or as a woman or both. Because God has a purpose and a plan for your life that is intentionally designed. Whether a man has ever condoned that with his love or words. Or whether you have ever been blessed with the opportunity to give birth to a child. There is a value and a God-given call and destiny on your life. So... As we begin this morning, I just want to stop and pray. I don't usually do this, but I felt led of the Spirit to stop and pray right now for the heavy-hearted. This day brings joy to a lot of people and heartache to some. And I just want to stop and pray for those whose hearts have, uh, are, are, have pain today associated with this moment. Alright? Father... Uh, in obedience to You. And because You asked me to do this, I have to believe these are not wasted moments. That as I pray, the oil and the salve of the Spirit is going to be poured into the wound of the infertile heart. 
the salve of the Holy Spirit is going to be poured into the grieving heart. That man or that woman today who has recently lost a mother or maybe a decade ago and, and today causes them to relive that grief or for that child or that man or woman today whose mother was anything but a role model and today reminds them of the pain in those relationships. Pour in the oil, Lord. Pour in the salve. Embrace them today. And, and may somehow you turn the brokenness in this day around for your good and for your glory. I pray that you will help every one of us in this room see the destiny that is in our own lives and that we would have that destiny reawakened today. I pray, Father, that your your spirit would be near. And if life has kicked them in the gut, may they find you near them, helping them catch their breath today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. While my heart is heavy for some, uh, knowing that that is a reality, I still, I feel like I must this morning give honor to where honor is due. And there is, there is a power in a sacredness that comes with motherhood that, that um, is not known in, in, in any other place. And, and I, I want to I talk about the sacredness of motherhood and about stewarding dreams and visions that God has placed in the lives of children. Um, Dr. J.G. Holland summed up the value and the sacredness of motherhood when he penned these words. And I want you to hear the word influence used. If a woman is true and tender, loving and heroic, patient and self-devoted, she consciously or unconsciously organizes and puts into operations a set of influences that do more to mold the destiny of the nation than any man could possibly affect. Neither woman nor the nation can afford to have a home demoralized or in any way deteriorated by the loss of her presence or the lessening of her influence there. As a nation, we rise or fall as the character of our homes, presided over by women, rises or falls. And the best gauge of our best prosperity is to be found in the measure of which these kinds of homes are multiplied in the land, a home where a godly woman has influence. Holland uses the phrases set of influence because a mother's role is sacred simply because of that word, influence. Have you ever heard the statement, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world? And it's true. There are some of you young mothers that are chasing toddlers right now and running around the house because they're into everything and changing diapers while trying. Some of you are trying to work another job on the side to make ends meet. And and in the back of your mind, all of the stresses of motherhood have caused you to privately wish this season would hurry up and be over. I can remember when um, Haley and I, you know, raised our first two, Caden and Gavin were were born while we were on the road and she mothered them in hotel rooms and in, in uh, RV trailers and, and it was hard on her because of, of the, the challenge of just being a mother of young children but then doing it without a home uh, and the security of a place to nest in. And I can remember us having conversations and, and looking forward to the day when they were growing up and all of those things. And it's with that in mind, Before let me, let me, let me challenge you Uh, Before you rush past one of the most strategic seasons of your life, I want to remind you that your influence will shape the destiny that God has planted in those children. And many times that child's destiny can influence a church, can influence a city, and can influence an entire nation. 
Because mothers are stewards of divine destiny. But in order for you to understand the power in the statement I just made, mothers are stewards of divine destiny, you have to know how God works when it comes to developing destiny. You have to know how God works when it comes to developing leaders. You have to know how God works when it comes to solving kingdom problems. I believe that every person that is born is a solution to a kingdom problem. I believe that you are a solution to a kingdom problem. If you could believe that about yourself, it would change the way you see yourself. If you could believe that every person is a solution to a kingdom problem, it would change the way you treated your spouse. It would change the way you parent your children. It would change the way we lead and pastor churches. It would change the way we influence the people we have influence over if we truly believe that every person was a solution to a kingdom problem. Lives under your care, regardless of your position of influence, were created purposely by God to be a solution in His kingdom to a problem that is going to arise. They have been called to meet that problem. When we believe that about a person, things begin to change. The challenge is, God doesn't work on our clock. And sometimes solving problems and reaching destinies, God doesn't work in the realm of immediately. We are people of immediately. We believe in prayer. We believe that God works miracles. And you put those two together. When we pray, we expect something to happen right now. I mean, right now. The same God that said, let there be light. And immediately there was light. Is testified in the New Testament nearly a hundred times in the four Gospels and in the book of Acts. There is a reference to the concept of immediately and His miracle working power. The woman with the issue of blood reached out and touched the hem of His garment. And the Bible says immediately her issue stopped. The, the flow of blood stopped. And then you have the lame man at the gate called Beautiful. He, he, was, he believed on Jesus and Peter and John prayed for him. And immediately the Bible says his feet and ankle bones, he had been lame since birth, received strength and he ran into the temple. And it happened immediately. There are nearly a hundred of those kinds of references about the miracle working power and immediately. And so we believe in prayer, we believe in miracles and the power of God and we get hooked up on this thing called immediately and we expect God when it comes to our destiny or to our prayer for those things to happen right now immediately. But you have to understand, when it comes to solving kingdom problems, when it comes to cooking up solutions to kingdom problems, when it comes to shaping and molding divine destinies, God doesn't use immediately in that conversation. There is a process there. There is a season of development there. There is a period of maturation there. And that's why motherhood is so sacred. Because God has chosen mothers as the way of shaping solutions and raising up deliverers. Of shaping these kingdom solutions that will one day solve problems that have not even yet reached their peak yet. What I love about God is when I read the Scriptures, I find that God in His sovereignty sees a problem outlying that is beginning to develop And instead of reaching in and solving that problem right away, he begins to place a solution in the womb of a woman. He places a deliverer in the womb of a woman. He entrusts that woman with the solution. He entrusts that mother with a deliverer and gives her the privilege of stewarding that kingdom cause, that kingdom solution, shaping the destiny that God places in that child. So that through that woman and life experiences, the solution 
can be molded so that it is ready and meets the need the problem has caused before the problem ever reaches its pinnacle. Behind the scenes, before the world even knows there's a problem, God has already started developing a solution. And we learn a lot about how God works, and we learn a lot about motherhood in some of these stories in the Bible. Let's look at some case studies, one of them being the life of Moses. God had a problem. People had, his people had gone to Egypt to take refuge 400 years earlier from a famine. They came there to buy food, and, and Joseph created an environment for them to survive as a people. And they began to grow and they began to develop. But yet there were pharaohs that came along that didn't know Joseph. After 400 years, many of them began to hate the nation of Israel, these people, and they began to persecute them. In Exodus chapter 1 verse 11 it says, So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And in all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. If this was a kingdom problem because his, God, his people were, God's people were oppressed and enslaved, it would make sense that God would lay a mantle on a man or a woman who was an adult and put an anointing on them so that they could immediately deliver the nation of Israel from Egyptian bondage. But the problem in Egypt had not yet reached its pinnacle. And yet while it is being developed, the problem is increasing. God is working behind the scenes to develop a solution before the problem ever reaches its peak. In Exodus chapter 2, verse number 1, you start reading about the solution. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. The reason she hid him is because there was a decree uh, that the Hebrew children, the males, should be killed. She hid him so that he would survive. You know the story. Pharaoh's daughter found him in that river and took him into the home of Pharaoh. Again, God's sovereignty shaping the deliverer. But here's an amazing thing. When Pharaoh's daughter began to look for a nursemaid for that little boy, he went out and got the little boy's biological mother, coincidentally, and brought Jochebed into the house to raise and nanny and nurse Moses. And so while Moses is being immersed in the ways of Pharaoh and his pagan world, you've got this one woman who gave birth to this child who is shaping a deliverer for his God-given destiny. And while she is rocking him at night, she is eroding or counterbalancing all that he heard in Pharaoh's world and whispering in his ear, you are not an Egyptian, you are a Hebrew. You are not an Egyptian, you are a Hebrew. So much so was her influence that the book of Hebrews records that when Moses came of age and was able to have a choice, he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It is, a, uh, it is an amazing testimony to the influence of a mother on shaping the destiny of a child. If every person is a solution to a kingdom problem, then every one of us has a little bit of Moses on the inside of us. Every one of us has been born to be a part of a kingdom cause. And the mother that God placed in our life, her call is to shape us, to mold us, to develop us into what God has called us to be. Now, for all of us in this room, you need to understand, you are all people of destiny. You are all people of promise. There is greatness inside of you. God has called you. And Moses recognized that. But 
he recognized it too early. The Scripture says that if you follow the story that Moses saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave and Moses went and confronted him and wound up killing the Egyptian. He took this thing into his own hands. He had the right idea, defend your people. He had the wrong way in the wrong time. So Moses was sent to the back 40. He spent 40 years in the desert with his father-in-law so that he could grow up into the destiny God had for him. His mother laid the foundation. He went to the desert so that God could shape him. This is what I'm telling you. Some of you in this room have this thing going on in the inside of you. You know that God has called you in the area of business or He's called you in the area of ministry or is a man or a woman with an idea in this room and, or a young person and, and there's this sense of destiny on the inside based on Moses' example. Let me tell you, don't get off the potter's wheel too early. Just because you sense there is a destiny on the inside of your heart, there is still a season of maturation, a process that needs to go on in your life. You need to hide in the shadows, in the quiver of God and let Him straight your shaft and, and let him make your point uh, uh, very uh, sharp so that when he decides to reach into that quiver and put you in his divine bow as the archer and release you for your kingdom purpose that you will be ready and you will be found faithful. Don't jump off of the potter's wheel too early because God is developing you for the purpose he has called you to solve. Every person is a solution to a kingdom problem and Moses in this case was the deliverer. But instead of placing a mantle on a grown man, God placed the deliverer in the womb of a woman and gave her the privilege of stewarding divine destiny. What an amazing, very sober responsibility, but an amazing privilege to craft the arrows that God will deploy for kingdom causes. There's another story in the Scripture that is a powerful illustration to me about womanhood, motherhood, and the way God shapes destiny all in one. It's the story of Ruth, but it's much the story of Naomi as it is Ruth. It's recorded in the book of Ruth. Naomi was a, an Israelite lady who, who had her, her famine had come to her land. She was from Bethlehem. And, and because famine had come, her and her husband Elimelech had to leave their home. And they went to a foreign nation, uh, foreign people, to find refuge in the land of Moab. Moab was prejudiced against her race. Moab was very pagan and very opposed, uh, very publicly opposed to the worship of their God. And so because of famine, they were forced from home to a very hostile place. Um, not long after they arrived there, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Her two sons had married Moabite women one named Orpah and one Ruth. And those two boys died as well. And so you have these three widowed women. One lonely Hebrew woman. One of her daughter-in-laws goes back to her tribe. She goes back to the people of Moab, her family. But Ruth said to her, Naomi, you've become my family and I honor you. If you want to go back to your people, I'll go. I'll go where you go. I'll lay my head where you lay your head. And so Naomi, because nowhere else to turn, she leaves Moab and she goes back to Bethlehem. She's been gone ten years. When she gets back to Bethlehem, people barely even recognize her. 
Uh, and one of the reasons, I would imagine, is because she was so grief-stricken over that 10-year period of time. Life had been so unfair to her that it literally began to change her physical appearance. And I've known people whose physical appearance and health has been impacted by the, de- the depth of their grief. And Naomi, what they were asking her, are, are you Naomi? I mean, your family left here 10 years ago. Are you the wife of Elimelech that left here 10 years ago? And in Ruth 1.20, she said this, Don't call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made life very bitter. Mara means bitter in the Hebrew, and Naomi means pleasant. And she said, I'm not the pleasant woman that I was when I left here. These ten years have almost killed me. And she even blamed God. She said, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I have to believe that if Naomi had the hindsight that we have, and had she understood about the way God works solutions to kingdom problems, and she understood that she was one of those, I have to believe that she would have seen this moment differently. Because you see, God had a big problem. Adam and Eve had sinned. God had walked with them in the cool of the day. There was intimacy in that relationship. But Adam and Eve sinned, and there was separation in that walk with God. So God hinted in Genesis 3 about a solution. He said in Genesis 3 that soon the seed of woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And we know that as a prophecy of Jesus who would be born of Mary, who would conquer sin and and bridge that gap. I think it's important even in Genesis when the fall of man came and the plan of God was altered at that moment by their choice. I think it very powerful that God's solution was the seed of woman. Do you hear that? The way He chose to redeem humanity was through the sacredness of motherhood, through the seed of woman, the power of of a woman to influence destiny and shape a child. And he, He entrusted Jesus to Mary, the Redeemer of all mankind. But you say, Pastor, how does that influence, what does that have to do with Naomi and Ruth? Well, God had a problem. Humanity walked away from intimate relationships. Sin had to be dealt with. Naomi, had she only known the bigger picture, had she only understood that she was a solution to a kingdom problem, the trouble that she was experiencing in Moab would have been tempered by trust in a God who is powerful enough that He can take what was meant for evil and use it for good in our life. We get so focused on the pain of the moment and the trouble of right now that we don't understand how God is using even the negative things in our life to shape us as a solution to His kingdom purposes. Because of her trouble, Naomi had to go back home. When she went back home, she carried a Moabite girl with her, now a widow as well. She said, I have a relative, a kinsman redeemer, a man who is... A farmer, and, and you know what? There, there may be some grain they leave behind. And she encouraged Ruth to go glean in Boaz's field. So Ruth goes to the field of Boaz, and Boaz is stricken by her beauty. And so he says to the workers in the field, Hey, kind of accidentally on purpose, leave some grain for that woman as she comes along the way. They, the Bible calls them handfuls left on purpose. And so she walks along and she keeps coming up on these handfuls left on purpose. And she provides for her mother-in-law through this. And over time, Boaz and Ruth, their hearts are joined together. And I think it's important, read this, follow this with me. Ruth 4.13 So Boaz took Ruth to, and she became his wife. And he made love to her. And the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. That may not seem like a big deal to you, but... Because this 
woman from a pagan culture was brought to Israel because of Naomi's misfortune. She, she is joined together in marriage with Boaz and they have a child. His child, their child is named Obed. May not be that big a deal to you, but Obed had a son and his name was Jesse. May not be a big deal, but hints a little bit to something. Jesse had a son and his name was David. And, and David is the one who is carrying the seed of the Messiah because generations later, David's seed gives birth to a son who is a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, who is the Son of God. What I'm trying to tell you is that God used the misfortune of Naomi to shape the destiny of Ruth, who would wind up carrying the seed seed of a Messiah who would redeem this world from its sin. Had Naomi only understood the trouble she was going through was a part of God's bigger plan. When you understand your solution to a kingdom problem, it tempers the struggle that you're going through. You see how God works in this situation. You can see the value of the sacredness of motherhood in stewarding divine destiny. God shaped the lives of two women through their trials to form them to be solutions to fallen humanity. It speaks to the power of womanhood. It speaks to the power of motherhood. It speaks to the process that God uses in our life, even our struggles, to shape us for what He has called us to. And then there's another example. Samuel. God has a problem when the leader loses his sight. I don't mean physical sight. In, in, in 1 Samuel 3, 2, one night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. He had lost his sight. But he had lost, Eli had lost more than his physical sight. Eli had lost the ability to see spiritually. You see, his sons were in spiritual leadership and they had compromised morally. They were living very immoral lives. And either Eli was blinded to what his sons were doing or he had chosen to ignore it. And because of that, God had lifted a mantle of anointing and leadership off of Eli's family. And there was a great problem coming up in the kingdom. And God needed a godly man to fulfill that function. And Eli's family line was the one that was supposed to fill that function. You see, Samuel uh, had not come along just yet. And Saul, the first king of Israel, was about to blow it. He was about to be disobedient. And God was going to need a man of God to anoint the next king over the nation of Israel. It was supposed to have been Eli's boys. But because of the, the, the... the blindness of the leader and the immorality of the sons, the mantle had been lifted from Eli's family. So you see God, again, just like He did with Moses, He opens the womb of a barren woman, this time a barren woman. He places a a solution into the womb of Hannah, whose womb had been shut. Let me say this. I believe with all of my heart, that uh, what I prayed for a moment ago for some of you that were battling infertility, that God would give you grace and you would trust His sovereignty in this moment of infertility in your life. But just because I prayed for God to grace you through this season does not mean I do not believe in the power of God to open barren wombs. 
I have had so many people in my life whom I have, were told they couldn't have children, waited for years and couldn't have children, and lost children and had miscarriages, and, and, and then all of a sudden God put a child in their womb. And I tell them, listen, when I find God opening the barren womb of a woman and putting a child in that womb, God's going to use that child for something special. And I believe he, I believe in the same way he began to cook up a solution for Moses in, in, in Jochebed's fertile womb, he opened the barren womb of Hannah and placed Samuel there. And you, you see in Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel one twenty five, the solution, which is Samuel, comes and meets the problem, Eli, before Eli knows he's the problem and Samuel knows he's the solution. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, the scripture says. And so here you have Samuel in the temple. He grows there, being loved and stewarded by his mother and serving the Lord in the temple. When Eli's sons were having women on the altar, which they were, Samuel was guarding the flame in the temple. Didn't even really know the problem he was yet called to solve. He was just surrender and lived as if he knew he was a solution. Guarding the flame and guarding his integrity and guarding his life for his moment of destiny. It should have been one of Eli's sons, but when you get to 1 Samuel, when God has to find a new king and he's looking for David, verse 16, chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. A moment of destiny that was stewarded through the womb of a barren woman. Can I prophesy? I really believe this message today was a prophetic word to the dormant dreams lying on the inside of any of us today. Men and women who have a promise from God in this room, a call of God on your life, a, a, a business, a kingdom business God wanted you to start. There's something on the inside of you that has been laying dormant and you've even told yourself, you know, that really, that's not from God. You're a teenager and you've got this idea of what God is saying in your heart about what He wants to do with your life and, and you see other people that are more equipped and more qualified and, and, and you feel like in your heart that it's just, maybe that's just my egotistical hallucination. Or some of you have lived in in the delay so long it has made you doubt today I pray that the word of God will make you believe again will make you live again that life will have meaning again that you will believe with all of your heart that you are a solution to a kingdom problem a select arrow in God's quiver stay patiently surrendered on the potter's wheel stay in the maturation process let him mold you because soon the divine archer is going to reach into his quiver and he's looking for a straight arrow a select arrow, an arrow that is pointed on the end because you will have been prepared as a solution to meet the problem to solve for which you were born and the divine archer is going to deploy you as a select arrow in his quiver. Mothers, that's what makes what you do so sacred because you're the steward of God's quiver. You're the caretaker of the select arrows. And soon the divine archer is going to trust so much what you do that he's going to lay his hand on one of your children like he did Moses and Samuel, Obed and Jesse and David. And how effective they are has a large degree of the influence you have in their lives.
this is a is a message about motherhood but it's also a message about destiny for all of us let me say this to mothers whose kids are not walking in the destiny you know that God has for them I'm going to tell you there's nothing more influential in this world with kids and with God than the prayers of their mother There have been a whole lot of times in my life when I was not living in that destiny. My parents, my mother and my grandmother knew that I was a child of destiny. But my life, the reality of what they were looking at didn't match what they knew. I was living um, in in sin and and far from God, had no desire for God. But that whole part of my life transitioned because of the influence of my mother. The power of prayer that my grandmother had. She had influence with me, but she also had influence with God. And it changed my destiny. It helped me live into what God called me to be. J.R. Miller penned a fitting poem for those of you who are mothers. It's called The Bravest Battle That Was Ever Fought. It starts like this. The bravest battle that was ever fought... Shall I tell you where and when? On the maps of the world you will not find it. Was fought by the mothers of men. Nay, not with cannon or battle shot, with a sword or noble pen. Nay, not with eloquent words or thought from mouths of wonderful men. But deep in a walled up woman's heart. Of a woman that would not yield, but bravely, silently bore her part. So there is that battlefield. No marshalling troops, no bivouac song, no banner to gleam and wave. But oh, these battles, they last so long from babyhood to the grave. The battlefield of our culture, the battlefield of the church, the battlefield of the nation is in the walled up woman's heart. Because she has influence with God and influence with man. I want us to to pray this morning before we leave this room. I have a a heart today for all of you. You know, I don't say this arrogantly, but in my heart, I believe that I'm a solution to a kingdom problem. I don't even know what all the problems I'm called to solve are. It really doesn't matter. All I'm asked to do is is to guard the flame in the temple. But the reason I work hard like I do and the reason I read the Word and pray and the reason I guard my integrity like I do is because I believe I'm a select arrow in the quiver of God and the archer is coming to call my name one day for my divine purpose. My mother helped shape that. There are other people in my life that have helped shape that. I intend to stay on the potter's wheel for that moment of destiny. And I speak into every one of your lives today. Young, old, male, female, whether you call this church home or you're a guest today, you too are a solution to a kingdom problem. Guard your heart. Commit your to Christ. Guard your integrity. Live as if God is shaping you to be a solution for a problem. You might even know what the problem is yet. But life begins to change when you know in your heart, the core of who you are, that God created you, purposefully designed you to be a solution to a kingdom problem. And moms, when you believe that, Even if your children are grown and away from God today, it will force you to your knees to pray because you know the promise of God for their life and you can pray past what is actually happening now and birth the reality of what God promised. I imagine Mary 
when she saw Jesus on that cross, had a whole lot of unanswered prayers. But she held on. And Sunday morning came. Mom, I'm telling you to hold on because you have influence with God. And you have more influence than you'll ever think over your own children. God made it that way. And for those of you that may or may not be mothers, let this message be an awakening in your own heart to that God-given destiny that is in you. Steward what God has placed there, even if you don't fully understand it all. Would you stand with me all over this place? Prayer team, would you make yourself available this morning? I'm asking them to make themselves available today because there may, need, there may be a, a lady uh, who needs to pray about something to do with this message and motherhood or for their children who've wandered from God and they want somebody to agree with them in prayer. Maybe it's a teenager or a young family who senses destiny, purpose in their hearts and in their lives. I want to challenge you this morning. I, I just I want to challenge your hearts to, if you want somebody to agree with you in prayer about that destiny, about that purpose, then they're here and they're available to do that. These altars are open for, for you to come and pray. Pastor Bear is going to lead us in a song that I believe is fitting. Or if you just want to sit and linger and soak in the depth of what I've said today about you being a solution to a problem or you stewarding the deliverer that God has placed in your quiver, then I want you to just linger in His presence. Don't rush out of here if you need to do business with God. There are people here to pray with you for the miraculous. If you want to commit your heart to Christ, whatever the need for any or all of those things. I want to pray a blessing over you. And if you need prayer today, others will begin to leave as soon as the prayer is over. Some will sit and listen to Pastor Bear's song of worship. Others of you may need prayer. And if you do, I challenge you to come even while I speak this blessing. Father, I pray that you will bless them and keep them. That you will let your face shine down upon them that you will be gracious to them. Turn your countenance their direction and give them peace. God, I pray that you would empower mothers to understand their influence as the shapers of destiny and that you will let every person in this room walk out of here with a recognition that they are a child of destiny. They are a solution to a kingdom problem. We'll live different, love different, lead different if we understand that. Will you bless them, Father, in Jesus' name.